Welcome into another edition of 30 Rack of Sports. We are here, Ohio's sports podcast, getting you through another week, getting you ready for Thanksgiving, the first college football playoff rankings. Draft just happened. Lots going on in the state of Ohio. Uh, it is Sunday, November 22nd. We are recording in the morning. Uh, just getting into it. Of course, I'm the talent. My name is Greg. And the guy on the ones and twos. The guy who's really reliable when it comes for covering someone. Unlike UC, who could not cover minus six and a half. Uh, if anyone might have had that. Come on. They it's got Josh. The win. Josh, how we doing today? They got the win. I'm doing just great after a uh, cardiac cat's win last night. Got a little close there on that last play. But for now, Greg, it's you and I talking some Ohio sports. Drinking a chicken a porter. Um, and I believe we've also got a little bit of college basketball to talk about. I think the Buckeyes are opening against Illinois State Wednesday afternoon as the uh, college basketball season gets off right after Tuesday evening when we get our first look at the college football playoffs. So lot to lot to think about, lot to think about what's going to be on your plate Thursday afternoon for Thanksgiving. Some uh, odds maybe there we'll talk oh, about. Oh yeah, we're going to talk a little bit of your, your, your gobbling and gambling. Gobble gambles. If there's one tradition for me, it's screaming about over-unders at the Thanksgiving table while some, uh, family members are looking at me with some inter- interesting looks. Yeah, and interesting trends to talk about there too. So we'll we'll get in we'll get into it today. But first, Josh, I think in order to kind of relax after what was a tense weekend of college football Boy, for both kidding. the Buckeyes and the Bearcats and probably get us in the right state of mind to watch the Browns and the Bengals ready or later today. We're gonna need a beer. Yes, sir. Oh, beer of the week. That's awesome. Yeah, how do you do that? That's cool. Alrighty, Josh. Now we move on to our beer of the week. And though it's moving closer to Thanksgiving, still doing a little bit of spooky season here on 30 Rack. And spooked. With the Creep Show Smoked Porter by Warped Wing Brewery in Dayton, Ohio. It comes in at an eerie 6.66% ABV, Josh. Ooh. Ooh. First thoughts on this beer. It's got a nice. Dark, you know, your dark brown, typical porter color. The porter but look. I think the taste of it, just grabbed a little taste before we started here. Not overly smoky, but a very nice malty No, yeah. Taste. Yeah, the, it's got the nice malty chocolatiness to it, but a lot of people, they do get spooked by the smoked part of it when you ever see, you see a smoked beer. And I've had plenty of smoked beers myself that... The smoke's real heavy up front. Yeah, it tastes like you're you're eating like the pine chips. Yeah, some of them taste like there's like a piece of bacon in the middle of your. Right, beer. right, right. Which sometimes not bad, but this when you're doing a smoked porter, one of my favorite varieties of beers, it kind of lays underneath the rest of the flavors and gives it that little kind of almost an aftertaste instead of an upfront taste, which I really like about this. It's a really well done uh, porter by Warped Wing in Dayton. Yeah, I know. I, I I was looking at some of the reviews before this, and a lot of people, you know, some were complaining about the fact that it doesn't have that upfront smoky taste. But I think myself, like a lot of other people, really enjoyed kind of the aftertaste that that it has, where yeah. it's not overly smoky and it just gives you that solid porter taste. Uh, the maltiness is very good, and, and as you mentioned, the little dark kind of chocolate tasting note as well. Yeah, if it was like called like the smoky porter or something like that. I know some people do like the smoky stuff, but it's just, I, I'd rather have the, you know, the well-balanced beer than the, you know, upfront heaviness of something else. 
Um, but yeah, I saw one of those reviews. A guy was drinking one of these at a Chick-fil-A. What are you doing, fella? A porter? Well, a hey. porter with your chicken? Hey. Way Bond style? Hopefully it wasn't being a creep, too much of a creep show at the Chick-fil-A. But, All right. Uh, hopefully just enjoying a nice beer, which uh, we will be for the rest of this show. Drinking Creep Show Smoked smoked porter by warped wing and we'll get into it's got a nice little paragraph coming up for the reading of the can handled by me today believe it or not without without zach around so it should be great coming up with greg the buckeyes survived the hoosiers after getting out to a 35 to 7 lead early in the third quarter versus indiana ohio state holds on to a 30 or to a 42 35 victory With three picks by quarterback Justin Fields, the Buckeyes relied on the running game, providing over 300 yards rushing to lead them to victory. In Orlando, the Cats take care of business and beat UCF 36-33 after falling behind 14-3 early. Another fantastic showing by quarterback Desmond Ritter, throwing the ball for over 300 yards and tallying four touchdowns for the Bearcats. But the big talking point nationally was the TD not scored late by Jared Dokes that cost UC betters the spread and caused a few tense moments as UCF had one final play to win. Also, the MLS playoffs are in full swing and the crew are moving on after a 3-2 victory Saturday over the New York Red Bulls. Goals by Santos, Nagby, and Zardes helped Columbus get over the top and into the next round, even with some tense moments by a, after a late goal by the Red Bulls. And finally... Cavs got their guy. Cleveland selected Isaac Okoro with the fifth pick in the draft on Thursday night. The Auburn product fills a huge need in wing depth on the Cavs and can hopefully be another piece in getting the Cavs back to winning. Or at least some sort of relevance. And those are your OH headlines. It is time for Hell Yeah, Hell Nah where we give you the Potentially controversial opinion. You say yes or no. Today's controversial opinion that some of us find to be not that controversial. Virtual. The Browns entering because we're recording in the in the morning today. Uh, six and three entering Sunday in the eight seed. So Josh, the Browns are a playoff team. Hell yeah or hell nah. Hell yeah. I'm getting on the train. I'm getting on That's the train. The but. This is Baker's last chance with me. This is his last chance with me. He, and depending on what happens uh, Thanksgiving night, where we have uh, the Ravens taking on the Steelers, you know, the Browns have got spanked by both of them the first game. And on the road. On the on road, road exactly. On the road, both yes. of those games. Now they'll have uh, Baltimore coming in on Monday Night Football in uh, three weeks or so. Bum, 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 bum. Bum, 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 bum. But. Baker's got to play in that game. He has been held to under 200 yards um, in those games. Um, t- uh, I think he had two touchdowns, two interceptions in that first game against Baltimore. You got to tighten that up. And then the Browns, run the ball. You've got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt back there. Run the freaking ball. You know, I know I don't have to tell you that. I know no. I don't have to tell you that. No, but thankfully, the weather has been kind of forcing the Browns' hands recently with some pretty awful wet- weather against the the Raiders and the Texans, and it's supposed to be pretty bad weather today versus the Eagles, thankfully forcing the Browns to run the ball. Of course, last week, the first time since the 1960s, the Browns had two running backs with 
over 100 yards. Oh my. So great to see. Well, and you know what my big focus is on saying hell yeah here is the Browns' defense has really, really improved, and they're playing some lackluster offenses, I understand. But the Browns, Greg, in their past three weeks are actually have the edge over Baltimore, only allowing 19 points per game. will be at one and a half points less than Baltimore, who sits right behind them in that category. But it shows that those defenses can hang. I know Garrett's out with the, the vid right now. But, you know, get him back next week. That defense is a machine and can keep them in games. If the offense can reciprocate, hell yeah. I'm saying hell yeah. Yeah, I think one of the worries that you have with, with Garrett out is, you know, you don't have a whole lot of uh, experience or, or talent at the linebacking position and getting a lot of pressure, as Garrett does, kind of helps to cover that up. But right. you're going to have to have some guys you know, step up, whether it be Vernon on the other side or, or covering for him is probably going to be uh, a combination of Adrian Claiborne and Porter Gusson. So hopefully those guys can step up, get some pressure on, you know, Wentz, and then I guess next week versus the Jaguars as well. So and you're saying... Get uh, the team going well. So you're saying... I am... Of course I'm saying, because I'm delusional, as usual, I'll when it to comes ask. to the Browns. I'm saying, hell yeah. Browns 6-3 and three entering Sunday. Schedule rest of the way. Today, as we're recording, play the Eagles. Then at Jags, at Titans, versus the Ravens, at Jets, at Giants. So two weeks straight at the Meadowlands, and then versus the Steelers. Uh, the only two defenses that are in the top 10 of average yards per rush that they face the rest of the way? The two New York teams. And those are the teams that I'm least worried about. Right. Two of the four road games are versus teams with one or fewer wins. Got the Ravens and the Steelers at home. The schedule's there, man. The schedule's there. I will say the two biggest games, and I mean, obviously you can't drop any of these games you're supposed to win, but they have the Titans and the Ravens in two, two and three weeks from now, respectively. Those are two of the teams that they're tied with. Currently at six and three, there's a group of about four or five teams at six and three. If they can beat one of them, they're in decent position, but if they could come out and somehow win both of those games, they would be sitting very, very yeah. pretty as it comes to the playoff race. You know, it's one of those things where there are some years that eight and eight will get it done for the playoffs. This is looking like a year that you're gonna have to go ten and six to be in the conversation, and maybe even eleven and five to get in, especially depending on who you beat and who you lose right. to. That loss to the Raiders earlier was tough because they're gonna be a team that the Browns will be jostling with jostling for position with and the titans and the ravens are going to be no different so it's going to be tough but i think they win at least one of those games they take care of business for the most part maybe an 11 and 5 10 and 6 browns team and i think they, they get that's in. that's yeah. that's what i'm thinking um you know but you've got to win the games that you're supposed to win i have such a fear that like you said we're recording sunday morning i have such a fear that tomorrow once our listeners hear this that they will have uh brownsed this uh, Eagles game away. So you've got to win those. I think, I think in two weeks, you know, things are going to shake out. The dust is going to settle. Like th Thanksgiving night, we've got Ravens, Steelers, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. Well, and you have Titans, Ravens today. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things could settle to where in three weeks when you play the Ravens, uh, when you host Baltimore on Monday night football, you could really set yourself up there to be in control and Greg, I don't have to ask you, when was the last time Cleveland Browns were in control of the AFC North? Uh, they've never, they haven't been in control of the AFC North since the ever. AFC North was a thing. Ever. I think the latest they, I ever remember them being in first place was 
following a Thursday night drubbing of the Bengals, uh, what was it? 2013, yeah. maybe. And I guess to they clarify, they were seven and four. They finished seven and nine. So you know. I don't, I don't think they catch the Steelers, but I, I think their shot is catching Baltimore and getting that wild card in there. I, I, I'm so sticking making it to, to it. The Hell yeah! For only the second time since they've been back, 2002. Let's hope so, man. Let's, Let's hope, hope so. All righty, on to our first conversation. We're talking a little bit of college football, a wild weekend in Ohio, Josh, in college football. We'll start in Columbus as the third-ranked Buckeyes faced the ninth-ranked Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, the Buckeyes had last weekend off after a uh, cancellation versus Maryland. Came out ready to go in this game, uh, you know, leading 28-7 to at halftime, uh, you know, 35-7 after their first drive in the third quarter, and then the offense just kind of stalled out. Got one defensive touchdown in in the rest of the game to get to 42 points, but really couldn't do a whole lot on offense late, and uh, the Indiana defense got going, you know, getting them up to uh, 35 points. Michael Penix Jr. started off pretty terribly. I believe he was 5 for 18, but ended the day 27 to 51, almost 500 yards passing, five touchdowns. And with a rushing attack that, you know, didn't get going at all, actually had negative yards rushing, this Ohio State defense has a couple flaws in the passing game. Yeah, it does. Uh, there were some passes in there. I think uh, that first series that the Hoosiers offense started going, Penix put this, uh, there was this ball that was just dropped in to, uh, had like, triple coverage, basically. Um, but, like, shallow triple coverage. And... uh they seem to they seem to be late to the ball so many times, Greg, and uh, couple that with the fact that uh, Fields didn't really look all that impressive at times. Yeah, Fields. There are holes in this team. Fields, uh, you know, didn't look like the typical Justin Fields. They were talking about you know his last couple games. I believe the first three games he had completed at least his first seven passes. Had not had an interception coming into this game in the first three games, had three in this game. Uh, you know, the first one, kind of just a misread of coverage, but the last two, you know, kind of balls that he should have either just gotten out of the pocket and thrown away or just went down on a sack and did not look great. You know, one of them he got bailed out because Indiana fumbled the ball right after right. they picked it off, but definitely something that could have changed the game. Uh, thankfully first... for them, their, you know, their rushing attack was great, but Fields... Definitely needs to get better if Ohio State wants to get to where they want to be, especially with right. the way the defense has been up and down. I mean, that first interception was, yeah, just a total misread of coverage. And then the second interception, I just have no idea what he was trying to do. And they, unfortunately, were just both right to the defender. And, I, yeah, the first one, I think, yeah, you're right, just didn't read the coverage. The second one I have watched a couple times, and I just don't understand what he was doing there. Um, and, yeah, got bailed out on the third one. Luckily... As you said, Greg, the rushing attack is getting better and everything, but and could have been just a flute game and everything for Fields. You know, the schedule's been all over the place and everything. A little bit of holes shown in that Buckeyes team yesterday. Though. Yeah, I think looking at the way They're Fields threw the ball. Ranked. Yeah, the way that Fields threw the ball, I mean, uh, you know, and the way the defense played, especially that single high safety look has not been great. Uh, you know, three players for Indiana had a reception over 50 yards. So 
not great. You know, Fry Fogel, the big receiver for Indiana, had over 200 uh, yards in receptions, averaging over 30 yards a catch. Yeah. Which is just too much. A lot. Allowing way too much. Uh, thankfully, if you're a Buckeye fan, the schedule is pretty favorable coming in. Uh, you know, facing Illinois team that's looked better in recent weeks, played a good game against Nebraska, but should be very much outmanned versus the Buckeyes. Uh, and then end the season, you know, against a Michigan State team that's looked awful and a Michigan team that hasn't looked much better. Right. And and listen, anything that we're saying now has been echoed by our, our Buckeyes, Stallworth, uh, Zach, who's not with us today. He would be worrying about the same things. And I know he is worried about the fact that if you have that many interceptions and maybe a fumble somewhere in a college football playoff game against a Clemson or Notre Dame or <clears throat> a Cincinnati Bearcats defense, uh, that you you know that's something that I think Buckeyes fans you really ought to start worrying about. Like you've got to play tighter games and you've got to have a tighter secondary. Well, yeah, I know it's, I know it's young, young defense and everything, but. For what's your rank, you gotta you gotta get going here. And I mean, I may be slightly biased here as one of the few Northwestern fans of the over here, but right now, you know, with the two with the top two teams in the East and West facing off yesterday, and Northwestern getting that win over Wisconsin, you know, that Northwestern defense has been good. Like I said, only allowed ten second half points all season, and that Northwestern offense has been pretty efficient, led by Cincinnati's own. So yeah, so but they're a team that you know. Doesn't make too many mistakes on offense. The offense isn't very explosive, but if you give them turnovers, they will turn those into points, and they will not, you know, the defense will not allow you to just run all over them. So it could be a, t- you know, it could be a game if they end up facing in Indianapolis where things get a little bit ugly, and maybe it's, you know, a twenty to seventeen game, and the difference is, you know, a fumble or a pick or a, you know, missed fourth right. down conversion. You know, one of the things late, though, yeah, though Indiana was not able to convert there, Ohio State had a chance to, you know, kick a field goal and go up by 10 or just try to run the ball, you know, as they'd done so well and pick up the first down. They tried to run this, you know, little sprint out bootleg, try to get a little too cute, ended up not converting and giving Indiana a chance to drive down and punch yeah. it in. Yeah. I, you know, like you said, the schedule look, looks good for them and everything, but. It, you got to be worried about how they're going to look in big games. And, like, I know the schedule of, like, their frequency of playing has been all over the place this year. And I know it's 2020, but, you know, you asked to come out here for this chance to show that you are a national champion team. And, quite frankly, got some work to do, I think. Not that they can't, but got some work to do for the Buckeyes, I think. Yeah, if there's – I mean, you look at teams like, uh, you know, your – Clemson's, Alabama's, Ohio State's, they may have some down games, but at the end of the day, they, they have the talent to you Absolutely. Know, make, Absolutely. Things, uh, make things go better. From Columbus, though, to Orlando, the Buckeyes, to a degree, escaping Orlando with a win. Move to eight, I'm sorry, the Bearcats, escaping Orlando with a win. Uh, Cincinnati, 36, UCF, 33. Uh you know, most points by a lot given up by this Bearcat defense. Certainly some some issues that probably need to be fixed. Uh, some goal line offense was pretty rough. But then also, you know, 
the first couple drives of the game, you have, you know, UCF picking up a bunch of third downs, UC not being able to convert and having to kick a field goal, and then the muffed punt. And next thing you know, you know, it's late in the... Which muffed punt? The first one. <laughs> the uh, you, you turn around and it's near the end of the first quarter and you're down 14-3. to three. Thankfully, they were able to respond, you know, put up six, outscore UCF in the second quarter, 16-3, to three. Uh, you know, kept things pretty close to the end of the game and just were able to get out with a win. But I, as disappointing as some of the defensive effort was, obviously Dylan Gabriel, nice player, still forced him, you know, just barely above 50% passing, which you love to see. But most importantly, it's one of the things we were real interested about, especially early in the season when the offense was scuffling. If an offense got rolling against UC, would they be able to keep up? And so far at least in this game, they were able to. You know, Ritter, 338 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, You know, rushing game, Dokes had, you know, almost 100 yards rushing. Ritter had almost 60 yards rushing. They had almost 150 yards rushing as a team. Just able to make the plays and get it done on offense, which I think is very important when you get into some of these games and maybe your defense isn't playing their best. But this is, dare I say, the look of a playoff team, Josh. Uh, that's what I'm saying, Greg. Uh, and I'm hoping, obviously, the AP will come out later this afternoon as we're rec- recording Sunday morning. Uh, but that really won't matter as much this week with the college football rankings coming out on Tuesday evening for the first time. And I'm really curious to see how the committee views this win because I feel like in past years, you know, when teams are just dominating, dominating, there's the whole, well, how do they handle adversity? I feel like the Bearcats handled adversity well last night, and I know you were harping on how the defense looked at the beginning of the game, and the defense, I think, showed... I think the Bearcats showed how efficient they are as a whole team in this game. Well, and they also showed to be a team that can make adjustments. You know, they only gave up the two touchdowns in the second half combined, and the defense kind of stepped up at the end. They They showed... Another important part of a good team is being able to make adjustments. They right. found out what wasn't working, and they fixed it. Well, and and to do that, you have to have one side of the football bail you out and allow you that time to make adjustments. I'm pretty sure it was Mo Egger, Cincinnati radio personality, that made this point on Twitter. Uh, the Bearcats' defense, when it was 14-3 to at the end of the first quarter, they held the UCF number one offense in the country, mind you, to three straight punts while UC's offense got uh, the truck out of the mud and got the, you know, got the tires spinning and everything, they held that down for three straight series on the number one offense in the country while they figured out how to get this offense clicking. And then the offense got clicking. They allowed time for that offense to make the adjustment. That's Marcus Freeman's defense handling adversity, holding the anchor down for the team while the offense gets going. And if that's not handling adversity to the committee, holding number one offense to three straight punts while you're down two scores in, the, in a road game with fans at the bounce house, I don't know what is. And I'm curious to see how they view that. I mean, you've looked at, you know, a team that's put up, you know, 40-plus points against some, some decent defenses. A 32.9 margin of victory coming into the UCF game. Yeah, and they've, you know, they've done it against even some of the, you know, the SMU game. The offense took a little while to get going. Defense was great. Army game, they had the, you know, the 
fumble six early. Defense was able to keep them in that game. And it's shown that they've been a resilient team. You know, though the score has looked like they've dominated a lot of teams, some of these games have been closer than they look, but they've shown that they can beat teams, they can handle teams, they can put away teams. And I feel like they pretty much check every box. And they answered so many question marks, Greg. One of the things that I've wondered about the Bearcats personally, it's not really talked about on a whole national level as much, but I've always wondered how this Bearcats team is going to do without the rushing, if the rushing were to fall flat. Because I've always harped on the Bearcats as, you know, they've got such depth at running back. They have for years. They have a great running back room. But yesterday, didn't really get it done. And that's a credit to both teams' defensive lines and their fights in the trenches. The defensive lines on both teams last night were fantastic. Uh, rush, uh, yards per rush for UCF, 3.3. Yards per rush for Cincinnati, only three yards per rush. That's holding it down. But could the Bearcats' offense in their young receiving core uh, could Desmond Ritter, who wasn't making the greatest decisions at the beginning of the game, could he adjust? And by God, they did. His decision-making in the second half was great. The receivers started to step up. There were some horrible drops that they need to get out of the way. The one thing I do want to harp on the Bearcats real quick, Greg, 11 penalties. And they were not great on third down. What makes it not great on third down team-wide is you allowed 11 conversions on third down for UCF. UCF went 11 for 19 on third downs. Half of those third downs were just because the Bearcats got some stupid penalty on third down, whether it be a holding, whether it be so many offsides. They had so much trouble with the oh, hard count from Gabriel. Oh, they kept jumping with the clap Yeah, with the Gabriel. claps, yeah. And I know Dan Horde and the guys on the radio were talking about how weird the environment was down there with a half full, less than half full bounce house and how that clapping was getting them and everything. But it's like you got to handle that kind of environment if yep. you're going to go to the CFP. They made the adjustments. They handled all the adversity there. They're answering all the questions, and like you said, they're checking, the, checking off everything they need to, and they're answering all the questions. I'm so curious to see how Tuesday evening plays out. Yeah, and I think that's probably a great segue into talking about the, the college football playoff rankings. Um, I think before we jump back into Cincinnati, because I think that's going to be a little bit longer of a conversation i think we both expect to see the buckeyes in the top four you know beating a top 10 indiana team i mean they haven't looked great but they started the season in the you know top five or at least once all the big 10 teams were placed back into the ap poll right they've been in the, they've been in the top yeah. five so they're probably a team you'd expect to see probably at three or yeah. something like that uh then we go to uc and right now uc is ranked seventh uh, they've had wins where they either drop or lose ground to a Texas A&M team that has not played in two weeks. Uh, so right now, currently, before the before the polls are released, uh, you know it's Ohio or it's uh, Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Clemson, Florida, A&M, then UC. Yeah. So that looking back to kind of some of the comparisons that we have, Josh, the. One time the American had an undefeated team after the season, of course, was the quote-unquote national championship year of UCF in 2018. So looking back at it, for the first ranking, which was released just before Halloween because of you know the different season then, yeah. UCF was ranked ninth nationally. First college football ranking, they came in at number 12. 
Wow. Now, obviously, different season, maybe different expectations. UC starts the season, you know, ranked or at least close to ranked, all the way up to seven. Any idea what to expect? Where, where, where do no. you think you'll see them? I don't. Yeah, it's so weird, especially now that because I, I asked you to pull that stat up before we started, and I had not. I was curious. I wanted to hear what that stat was live, and that doesn't make me really feel great about it. But I mean, when you look at the Bearcats, they held UCF, who was the number one offense in the country coming into last night, six hundred some yards per game. The Bearcats only hold held them to three hundred fifty some yards uh, yards in last night's game. We we talk about you know the check boxes and everything. They've checked those off. They've answered those questions last night. Are they playing a tougher schedule than UCF was in twenty eighteen? You know those those things are all up for debate. Would I be disappointed if I saw the Bearcats drop lower than seventh in the college football playoff ranking? I think I would, because the two teams ahead of them right now could hardly handle Vanderbilt. Yeah. And unlike, and I, we said this from before the season started, uh, you can go back to all of our shows, I think, the whole month before the season started, we said this every show, the Bearcats need to come out and dominate, answer the questions, show they can handle adversity. They have done all of those things. Not that UCF didn't do that back in the day, you know, but we're in a different landscape now. We watched Oregon last night, who barely handled UCLA. With a backup quarterback. With a backup quarterback. They barely got out of there on a terrible play call on fourth down, but only by a field goal. It's like, who are you putting in from the Pac-12 and Big 12? What second team are you putting in from the Big 10? What second team are you going to put in from the SEC? I can understand where people are at right now. With Clemson and Notre Dame and two AAC, ACC teams, but it's not going to stay that way. Yeah, well, I mean, just taking a look at the rankings, and I, I think you know, I don't, I don't want to read rankings, but just to kind of go down, you know, looking at the AP rankings coming into this team, this game, of course, you have, you know, Alabama, A and M, and Florida ahead of UC. Well, with A and M and Florida being in the East, whoever comes out of that division will have to face Alabama for the SEC championship. So likely looking at one of those teams having a second loss. Notre Dame and Clemson likely going to rematch in the ACC championship. But looking below Cincinnati, I think, is, is a little bit more interesting because right below them you have BYU, which is kind of in the same boat as UC. You sure. know, haven't really played that much competition. Only 9-0 and team in the country, correct? Yeah, but a lot of, you know, some FCS wins, a yeah. lot of, you know, low major FBS teams. Then you have Indiana, who just lost, Wisconsin, who just lost, Oregon, who just escaped, you know, Miami, who hasn't been playing for a little while because of COVID, 4-2 Georgia, an Oklahoma State team that got killed by Oklahoma and now has two losses. And then you start to get into, you know, some of the other mid some of the other G6 teams like Marshall and Coastal Carolina. Now, I expect to see Northwestern jump a little bit after a big win, but I don't think they'll jump ahead of Cincinnati at this point. And you just look and you say, which of these teams are really better than Cincinnati? If you had to put a spread, you know, say they're playing out because most of these teams are East Coast teams because of, of the pack. Rose, you know, they're playing at the Rose Bowl. Is, you know, is Oregon going to be favorited over UC? Is Miami? Is Georgia? Heck, would you even favor Texas A&M over UC right now? 
I don't know. I would expect to see them no lower than seven. And I think if they put UC lower than seven, then the committee has made up their mind that UC has no chance. That's my thing, is that, like, there's such a disrespect. And even Kirk Herbstreet, who I know a lot of people, like, especially you fans, will UC fans rip on. I mean, he was praising BYU for their record and everything, but then we'll turn around and say the Bearcats don't have that great of a record. You remember when the Bearcats played SMU, they were dogs in that game. They, they, they were like four-point underdogs coming into that. That kickoff, four-point dogs against Southern Methodist. And 8-0, handled the adversity in UCF. I don't, and yeah, you're talking about this team who, you know, say what you want about the American there, there, there are some good teams in the American. Bearcats still have to play Tulsa. Bearcats still thinking about, mind you, Greg, Bearcats are still floating that whole thing about, you know, there are some weeks where you could schedule that extra game against BYU, well, and that's permitted the, right now. The big one is because of another Tulsa cancellation versus Navy, they had to move the Navy-Tulsa game to December 5th, I believe yeah, it is, yeah. because... Uh, Navy has the Army-Navy game on the 12th. So UC would have an open week on December 5th. Maybe schedule something against BYU. That's kind of one of the things that's been floating out. I will say my one issue with BYU, and a lot of people could have an issue with it with UC, but I would say SMU, especially UCF on the road, is a much better win than anything BYU has. Their biggest win right now is at Boise, which is not an easy place to win. They absolutely killed Boise That was an impressive win. I don't want to take away from that, but that's it. But Boise had their third-string quarterback starting. Yeah. So that changes it. Aside of that, you have, you know, a 17-point win over Houston, which UC beat, you know, just as handily. And then aside of that, you know, you have – Sunbelts and CUSA teams, pretty much. So not a whole lot of impressive wins. I understand BYU, you know, with all the restrictions from a lot of teams not playing, they're out of conference schedules. Don't have a whole lot to go off of, but, you know, now they only have one more game to make their mark if they don't schedule UC, and that's a San Diego State game. Don't have a conference championship. I just don't think there's enough there. UC is going to have to play. I mean, Temple... Not not going to be a super tough game. Uh, hopefully Two. not a trap game or anything. Then Tulsa and then, you know, a American championship game against probably a tough team, thankfully, at home. UC has so many more chances to impress the committee, I think, as yeah. long as they don't falter somewhere. I don't think BYU is an issue. I think my biggest issue would be a second ACC yeah. or, I, uh, you know, ACC team possibly sneaking in and maybe at worst, if something weird happens in the Big Ten Championship and, like, an Ohio State loses, maybe them. But that's about all I could say. Yeah, and and that's something that I could see a possibility of right now is that Ohio State could lose that Big Ten Championship game. I I see Clemson winning their championship game and uh, flipping that Notre Dame loss around. Yeah, but then you wonder, then it goes Notre Dame versus UC, and then, you know, they have the win over Clemson. at At the end of the day, am I going to be upset if we play a great New Year's Six game? No, but... 
if that happens to be the case, if the Bearcats continue to handle business and it gets time to the college football playoff and they aren't selected in a Texas A&M or a Florida goes in or if uh, Notre Dame and Clemson goes in or, God forbid, a Big 12, Pac-12 or second Big 10 team goes in, then the system is broken. And you have to find. I mean, I mean, we can already argue that, yeah. that the system's I think, broken. But and I've been hearing this, and then I've been also hearing, you know, with the New Year's Day Bowl possibly having UC BYU kind of having that, and I think that would be kind of a, a stain for both programs yeah. because this is their chance to kind of face those teams and punch up and show that they belong, like UCF did a few years ago. And I think over the past couple of years, based on what all those teams have done, they show that they belong, and I think. UC deserves to have their name at least considered. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's it for college football. We're going to move on. I think we've gotten just enough uh, anger over the college football committee and, and their rankings. We'll definitely discuss that in a whole lot of depth as well next week yeah. when uh, their rankings are released Tuesday night for the college football, for the first college yeah, football playoff. Be with ranking. us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for that night. Uh, specifically, Twitter, if you're on there, that's our most active platform. But we'll definitely be sharing our thoughts uh, Tuesday evening when those first rankings come out for the college football playoff. All right, Greg, let's talk some. Uh, let's talk about what's brewing in Ohio. There's a lot of. Uh, we're going to revisit a lot of old friends. Oh, There's a lot well, of, uh, look, old friends, new friends, as long as they're brewing in Ohio, they're friends of mine. At, hey, well said, well said. And uh, a lot of breweries that we've had on the show in our Ohio brewing news this week, uh, we had just talked about Wooly Pig Farm, my trip out to uh, Fresno, Ohio. A Not a city, not a town, but a census location in a Ohio. A census location in Ohio where they focus heavily on their German beers, um, and then one of our good friends here in Cincinnati, actually just, just on up the road, Fretboard Brewing, who we talked about last week, they're doing this beer right now, this collaboration. They're, they're doing a beer, okay. Beer company, a brewery doing a beer. It's, good. it's called Ooh-Ah, and it's a, uh, Ooh, a, a, a spoonerism of the way the beer is ordered from a bar in Germany. You go, Ahu, pronounced Ahu, so that's why the beer is called Ooh-Ah. They go, ah, ooh, it's, it's kind of a reverse thing right there, but... An ungespendent lager. Yeah, an ungespendent lager. It's uh, translate to unplugged uh, in German, uh, which means that the beer is matured in a vessel exposed to air. This leads to a little low, lower carbonation, so something that you and I might like, um, but your casual beer drinker might might weird them out the lesser carbonation and it's just a little less of a bite on the beer and allows you to explore more of the flavors in the beer so that's available um at the blue ash tap room for a fretboard and then wooly pig they're waiting to release this uh for their anniversary weekend kicking off the first uh weekend of december so if you're out in rural ohio get that beer at old wooly pig if you're out down here Kishakton or Fresno. Huh? Yeah, right along the Tuscarawas River. Um, and then if you're down here in Cincinnati, you can find that at the fretboard taproom in Blue Ash. We talked about some Athens expansions a couple weeks ago with Jackie O's bumping into Columbus. A collaboration we've had, Little Fish in Athens bumping into Dayton. Whoa, all over. Just brewing all over Ohio. Yeah, I love I mean, it. We're just bouncing love everywhere it. in Ohio. We're going Dayton, uh, Athens to Columbus, 
Columbus to Dayton, back to Athens. So uh, Little Fish is opening a little expansion in Dayton. Um, construction is expected to begin this spring, spring of 2021. So hopefully next year, Dayton, Ohio, you could have a little Athens action coming your way. And finally, Greg, it was the Festival of Wood and Barrel-Aged Beers, something you and I, I know, both enjoy, a little barrel-aged action right there in our beers. Last year, going to that barrel-aged beer fest was, was quite the night. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, quite the interesting, and one of my favorites that I got to try over the summer, uh, Mad Tree Brewing's June, a gin barrel-aged Kolsch. Uh, love gin, love Kolsch's. It was a great beer, very bright. You would be a gin drinker. I am a gin drinker, proudly. But it was uh, it was very bright, a very great beer. And Ohio won five medals in the 12 categories at the Festival of Wood and Barrel-Aged Beers competition. So Ohio really bringing it home. Mad Tree won one. Streetside, who we've had on the show, their Horchata Demogorgon Imperial Stout won one. Okay, I'm sorry, what was that? The Demogorgon? Street Side Breweries Horchata Demogorgon Imperial Stout. That's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. And Dry- it sounds like a bellyful for an, intu- for an <laughs> Imperial does. Stout. So, uh. Uh, Drive Brewing, uh, they're Belgian, won one. Uh, Belgian with raspberries, that is. Wolf Ridge in Columbus, uh, they won one with a dry hopped sour ale. So lots of good stuff. Bringing home the medals for Ohio. Nobody does it better, Greg. Ohio's for winners, especially when it comes to beer drinking. I mean, what are we brewing in Ohio? Winners. That's what's brewing in Ohio. There we go. And now, Zach's reciting of the con. Creepshow smoked porter. When night falls, spirits rise. A ghostly figure, a red-headed woman, drifts the city tracks, eternally lost. The anguish of the departed. A man who impaled himself on an orchestra pit chair, chills a historic theater. Forlorn howls and scraping claws, wolves, buried with their owner. Alive seep from a nearby mausoleum. Creepshow smoked porter. Smoky, malty, dark as Dayton without a moon. Whoa. That's a little bit chilling, Ooh, man. Yeah, I know. I just kind of got like at that. When you said that last line, I was like, oh, man. I, I was so... I was kind of lost at the man who impaled himself on the orchestra pit chair. I was like, whoa. Oh. Yeah, that is... We're not just getting... We're getting a little bit more from spooky into creepy. Yeah, I mean, well, that, was a little, that was a little graphic for a beer can. And actually, I've been thinking of what this beer can actually reminds me of. It actually reminds me just of a creepy version of the Gamma Bomb can. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Gamma Bomb, uh, the IPA that from Warped Wing, uh, we drank it a couple months back. Uh, very, one of their, you know, one of the best IPAs around. But this one has that same art style. Yeah. But you get some of the creepiness. You get the, the kind of the angry redheaded woman with the skulls kind of making up her hair. But I want to bring your attention to one of the more interesting thoughts, or one of the more interesting parts. If you look oh, in man. the iris I did not see that. of the woman, you get the nice porter class in the middle of the eye of the woman. It is a very... Just nice touch. I mean, this is a beautifully drawn can. Lots of great artwork. Even have the little cemetery on the back end. Man, they even and have a noose in the tree. My gosh. 
Wow. This is—I mean, there's all sorts of like like little hidden things in here. I'm—I wish we would have done this like closer to Halloween because it's such a cool Halloween can. I know, but a, you know, I mean, it's it's still great. I, it's still spooky season for us. Yeah. But uh, this almost reminds me of like one of those cereal boxes that you get as a kid. <laughs> right. where you're like looking and reading the maze. It's like every oh. time you you turn it around, it's like whoa! Behind the independent craft brewery logo, there's a werewolf. Yeah, I mean, you every, find something new every time. So, certainly cool to see. Uh, a great beer that uh, we've been enjoying this entire show. Uh, Creep Show Smoked Porter by Warped Wing Brewery. I mean, certainly one that you can drink, you can enjoy, and it, you can even spend a couple of minutes enjoying the can and all the great artwork on here, too. So Pick one up from Warped Wing. Uh, they are only switching to carryout moving forward uh, this week, and they'll be closed on Thanksgiving, but afternoon... Uh, afternoons until 7 p.m. You can hop in there, get some carryout. Highly recommend the Creep Show for your Thanksgiving week. The worst of the worst, where we talk about our worst of the week from the sports world. What really got our gears grinding this week, Josh? From a week that there was some good, but a whole lot of bad around the sports world. What is your worst of the week? Well, uh, I I was going to go back to our friend uh, Anthony Castrovinci from MLB.com because he wrote up some pretty insane uh, Lindor trade pieces, uh, one involving the Reds giving up basically everything they have I really for like one trade. year of Lindor. I really There's like some that insane trade. propositions in that. Unfortunately, Mr. Castrovinci, uh, you're off the hook because there was just so many bad calls in college football games this weekend, whether it be... The end of the Purdue-Minnesota game, some of the calls, and I mean both ways, in the Ohio State-Indiana game for both those teams, and then just the whole entire, like the way the Cincinnati Bearcats-Central Florida Knights game, just the way that game was officiated and operated from an official standpoint was terrible, and I don't understand what's happening right now. I think Big Ten, and I mean the AAC reps have been those that have been constantly scrutinized. I know last year... Something like eight of the top 20 most penalized teams in the nation were yeah. from the AAC. Yep. So it's something that's been an issue. And then in the Big Ten, mentioned Purdue. For any Purdue betters out there that had a minus two and a half like I'm myself. sorry for you. I'm very tough. Purdue. A late phantom offensive pass interference penalty. And then Purdue got picked off the next play to effectively end the game. Ohio State, uh, Indiana had some terrible calls. Northwestern. Wisconsin had some yeah. terrible calls. There were just some random. I know, even rooting for Northwestern, there were like some face masks that weren't called. There were some weird hits that just nothing was. That's called. my thing Bobby in the Big Ten right now, Greg. Is there's weird. there seems yeah, it's just really weird inconsistencies on textbook plays. For example, when you go back to the Minnesota uh, Purdue play at the end of the game, I mean that was a textbook post fade into the corner in the end zone, and I mean. We were talking about it earlier. Perfect dime over the shoulder, had separation. There's a little shrug off at the beginning and everything, but to call OPI there, I mean, poor guy. People like, were calling a push-off, but unless ah. you look at it from a certain angle, like you can see that he just he extends the arm, but he doesn't really push him or like really even touch it. So it just it doesn't yeah. make sense. Sometimes refs I feel like there are two kinds of refs. Some of them get a bit too antsy to throw a flag on, on any play, and some of them let it go too much. And then you get in a situation as a player, you're like, 
well, should I be physical? Because maybe the defender's right. going to be physical and they're not going to call anything. Or do I try to play as clean as possible? Because if someone even looks at me the wrong way, there's going to be a flag. Well, and there's things like, I mean, we've seen uh, Trevor Lawrence has had, I think, two. It might have only been one, but I'm pretty sure there's been two instances where he has had a targeting call uh, where he's involved in. And we, everybody goes back to the accidental targeting call in the bowl game last year where he ducked and got the helmet into him. Justin Fields yesterday in the mid-dive nearly got his head blown off. And there was no nothing. And, you know, and I, not, to, not to be the Ohio State guy that complains on the, about the refs, there were plenty of uh, uh, some – there were some holdings, a couple face masks, and uh, one particular pass interference that wasn't called for Indiana. Um, you were talking about the Wisconsin Northwestern. There's just the Big Ten has inconsistency problems with their officiating. The AAC, I just don't know what to do anymore. I mean, it's it's a joke. The the phantom, the phantom uh, whistle that got a hard worked for UC touchdown called back. And I know most of the things that went against UC, well, it, they earned right back the next play. Yeah, there was the. Uh... Yeah, because there was the the third down where Dokes was still moving forward. They apparently had whistled forward progress stopped, and it turned an easy first down into a fourth and one. There was the weird UCF play where uh, Josh Heupel wanted the ball on the right hash. Yeah. The quarterback had already declared the left hash, and it were, they were well on that play, play, Greg. And they reset the game clock. The, the game clock the got play clock. the play clock got reset twice, and that was all it was was a two point conversion, and they couldn't figure out which hash the ball was supposed to be on and then the refs had to come and say we had already placed the ball on the right hash on the left hash, on the left hash once we right once we signal ready that's that's it that's it you know and everything and i get i get what the rules say and everything but there are just so many things in that game where it's just like the refs don't don't seem to know like how we're operating this game. There yeah. were so many reviews for things that didn't need to be reviewed if you were just paying attention to the game. Yeah. If we can see it on TV and be like, the ball should go here, this is what the clock should be, 30 seconds, check it, boom, go. Or Shouldn't know, be a five-hour game. Happy, like, like you said, happy whistles on both sides. There were yeah. a number of plays that you were just oh. like, well, no, he's not even close to down. Like He's still moving forward, and both, play, both teams got things whistled down. It was just... Very weird. It's, and yeah, I, and I'm complaining from all sides. I hate to I hate to keep harping on it all weekend, but we're getting to a point where it's just like, what are we doing here, folks? Like, let's learn how to operate the game. That's my worst. The worst. What's your worst, guy? Uh, so my worst comes from one of my honestly one of my favorite days of the year, one of my favorite drafts of the year. Absolutely. In the NBA draft, uh, you know, I love it. Once again, I'm a huge NBA fan, but also. You see these players that change teams overnight, you know. Yep. Zion getting drafted, obviously, you know, all the way back to 2003. Uh, LeBron getting drafted. Hep, Kmart getting drafted number one overall Junior, by, yep. by the Nets in uh, 2000. So you look at these guys and they're, it's, you know, changing franchises. But also there's a lot of guys that are drafted, you know, late first round, early second round that make differences. And you... As someone, you know, who watches the draft, because usually you've got to be a pretty hardcore fan to watch the draft, you want to know, where is this guy going to fit? What's his floor? What's his ceiling? What do you like about him? What do you don't like about him? And I understand ESPN wanting to bring some human element to it, add some interviews, but when the entire draft basically turns into a, let's try to get the draft, the draftees to cry and bring up any family member that's ever died in their life, 
it turns into a drama show where it's really too much. And yeah. the people that Especially probably, right now. But yeah, and the people that would probably enjoy that aren't watching the draft. The people that no. are watching the draft want to hear, you know, why Tyrese Halliburton's falling in the draft. Do you think it was, you know, do you think Killian Hayes was deserved to be taken in front of him at eight instead of eleven? This trade here, what's going on? And then also, by the end of it, it turned into Woj was tweeting out picks, two picks before yeah. the draft. They weren't talking about the players. They weren't talking weaknesses or strengths. So there was no point to watch the draft. And normally I watch the draft front to back, like all of it. And by about pick 20, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty good here right? because there was just no use. And it's one of those things I understand they want some of it, but maybe put a second cast that's, you know, maybe an ABC broadcast that's all the like stories and maybe an ESPN broadcast that's the nitty gritty. Maybe the a couple college guys, a couple NBA guys really getting into, you know, how they're playing and everything. But we're just talking about the drafts, arguing about picks being right or wrong. I think over the two hours that I watched, I think there was maybe a minute worth of like actually talking about something that one of the draftees doesn't do well. Jay Billis finally brought up that LaMelo Ball has a shot that looks awful. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah. And a couple of these other guys, you know, I was like, well, doesn't Halliburton's shot not look great? And that was brought up. And, you know, some issues with, you know, like Denny's uh, foot speed and whatnot never brought up. I, I had to go and find other information to try to figure out how these picks actually fit. And if you have the draft, talk about it. Right. Talk about it. And it just made absolutely no sense. Well, and that's what disappoints me sometimes, Greg, is that ESPN has the uh – the contract, if you will, for NBA right now, and I'm pretty sure it just got renewed uh, two years ago or something. Yeah, and they had the draft where it wasn't just coming out of Goodell's basement. Yeah. Adam Silver was actually at the ESPN headquarters right. revealing the picks. And, and I love human interest story pieces. Don't get me wrong. And I don't want to take away from any of those guys' story and everything, but especially right now, man, like, you know, sports are – the getaway from everything. Like, let's just hear about the picks. Let's hear about why it, like, yeah, why Halberton dropped that much. For them not to, like, touch on that. For them to not really just hype uh, Ball up and just continue with all the hype stories about Ball and give that platform and that snowball more stuff to work with instead of talking about the mysterious parts of his game and yeah. the things that he still needs to work on. Like, let's get into the an actual analytics of the sport and everything. And ESPN, I think, gets away from that sometimes, more often than not, with their and, NBA coverage. And that's the thing. You know, I was listening to, I want to say it was the Rosillo podcast, and they had Bill Simmons talk about it. You know, his wife happened to walk in, and she said, well, I've cried for the last four picks because of the sad story. And it's like, one, do you really need that? And two... Someone's wife, like, may be watching with them, but for the most part, it's going to be the basketball nerds, like right. Simmons and, you know, myself and those guys that want to know, hey, what do you, what do you basketball experts think of the picks? Because I have my own thoughts, and at some point, I just have to run with them because, or find information from someone that actually wants to talk about the picks, because ESPN's giving you basically nothing. Right. So. Just the worst. Just, just the, the worst. Just the worst sometimes. So. Let us know what your worst of the week it was. Was it college football refs? Was it college football bad beats? Was it those new Boston Celtics jerseys? Oh, was it those God. new Boston Celtics jerseys? Was it the NBA draft? Uh, I'd be remiss for my parents being Northwestern grads if it wasn't. Maybe it's Joey Galloway calling Northwestern a bunch of fighting Reese Davises. 
even though you know Northwestern's only given up 10 second half points all season. Was it MLB.com's Oho. suggestions for trading for Lindor? Some of them were very nice. They're the Red Bulls. So, yeah, some of them were good. Some of them were well, some pretty, of them were uh, trading the whole team like the Reds, and some of them were trading like used dollar store items like the Cardinals yeah. trade. So I for one do- for for pretty much one dollar, Bob. Dollar. Yeah, one year of Lindor. Your four, yeah, your fourth uh, outfielder and like one bad prospect for him, or your best prospect and like yeah, three other great prospects. Yeah. Uh, you're you're like. Best prospect in the MLB plus like three great prospects. Yeah. So definitely right. makes sense. So many but, so many choices this week for you folks. Yeah, let us know uh, at Thirty Rack of Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Your worst of the week. We're gonna get you guys ready for Thanksgiving. I'm ready to eat. We're not doing the cooking because that probably wouldn't go well. Uh, we'll, we'll bring some beer, but most importantly, we'll bring you some knowledge from Thirty Rack. We're talking a little gobbling and gambling for the Thanksgiving NFL games. Of course, I mean, the NFL and Thanksgiving go together like red beans and rice. Yeah. Beer and 30 rack of sports. I mean, just all of it. Turkey and potatoes. Turkey and potatoes. Turkey and... Turkey and anything that's on yeah. your plate on Thursday, really. I was going to say, yeah, more or less. Unless you're a ham family. Oh, uh, I'm not. Weirdos. Nope. Nope. I'm not oh. a ham family. Turkey it is. Turkey. Eat the bird. Stuffing. Bird is the word. Mashed potatoes. Although I do like sometimes I've been to some places where there'll be like a couple turkeys. There'll be like, you know, deep fried turkey and like Ooh, a couple yeah. of the different kinds of turkeys where you can kind of be like, ah, you know what? First helping, I'll get this kind. Second helping, I'll and get we're this doing kind. fried this year. I'm excited. Ooh. Yeah. But uh, more importantly, well, we normally do the uh, what the it's not trash bag, the brown paper bag. Oh turkey. yeah, that's the old. Yep. The old uh, my old Croatian. Grandmother used to used to always cook the 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 turkey as yeah, she put the, it that way. So uh, that was very good. Look, I heard it enough times. But uh, we're gonna give you guys knowledge. Yeah, we're we're, we're knowledge. here to set you up so you can be complaining about that over under mid dinner. Yes, but first we're actually gonna start. You know, normally I don't know about you, eat, eat dinner about you know three o'clock or so. Yeah, I think we're at two forty five this two, year. Two forty five family. Yeah. That's I've been it. told two thirty, but you know how it goes. Oh yeah, that's that's what I mean. Yeah, we say we always say two thirty, and then usually you know, occasionally. Well, this time of course keep the gathering small, just right. immediate family right. and just, whatnot. Yep. But you know when you used to have those giant groups over, someone randomly strolls in at three thirty and wonders why everyone started eating. It's like, yep. We told you two thirty. Right. Last week. Yeah. I, Bob, I, I, come I'll on. say that. Yeah. It's just it's just the immediate family this year, so we'll probably actually do two thirty. But we have our first game. Starting at 12.30. The one, you know, maybe you get, I don't know, right after the, the parade, usually I have a couple, like, mimosas or, or morning drinks. Yeah, you're, you're morning liquor drinking, you know. Ready to go for the first game, which is the Houston Texans at the Detroit Lions. Lions minus four, of course. Always play the early game at home. Deshaun Watson and the Texans come in. Obviously, kind of a rough season for the Texans and, you know, a lion season for the Lions. Uh, you know, Sunday morning, <laughs> Texans are two and seven, Lions are, are four and five. So Lions minus four at home. Who you got here? Detroit's gonna be Detroit, man. Um I'm actually going with the over under here and I'm leaning over. Um because What do you got for the over under here? I haven't seen an over under come out yet, 
but I'm just, you know, based off of trends, Detroit and Houston, they're averaging about three touchdowns a game each, and their defenses are both in the bottom 10 of the league, giving up about 30 points per game each. So if you can, you know, I'd imagine that when the line comes out, it's just going to keep dipping lower just because it's uh, Houston and Detroit. Yeah. Having very Houston and Detroit seasons. So if you can, uh, you know, wait it out and find that over underline low, I would easily take the over there. You also maybe watch uh, watch the spread here. Um, they've The Texans and Lions, this is only going to be their fifth meeting all time. And uh, the last three meetings of their four overall have all been decided, decided by one score or less. Um, and that, that includes 2012, the last time they played on Thanksgiving, and the game went to overtime and won on a field goal. So a lot of trends to watch there. I'd be looking for the over. Maybe if you like the spread there, Greg. I don't know what you're thinking. Uh, so... I do, I do agree with the over. I think there will be some points to be had. I mean, especially in Detroit, you know, you get the dome, you get some points. Right. I mean, you know, a lot of these Lions games have been going over, you know, 50 points, and I couldn't imagine seeing, you know, the over-under much, much higher than 50 points. I am actually going to take the side of the Texans. I know the Texans have been up and down, mostly down, but have been playing harder recently under Coach Romeo Cornell. Defense looked a lot better. I know it was a rough weather game in Cleveland, but holding Cleveland pretty close. Uh, Detroit, you know, beat Washington by three points, but lost the two games before that. They have not looked great recently. You know, Stafford has been on and off some, some uh, you know, the COVID list. I know DeAndre Swift's finally coming along, but I just don't expect to see the Lions dominate a win. They had the one convincing win over the horrid Jaguars by 18 points. But aside of that, their other three wins have been by three points, one point, and three points. So even if the Lions win, I don't expect them to win by that much. I would take the Texans, and depending on how juicy that money line gets, if it gets you know plus 185, maybe sprinkle the money line as well. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's too bad. Then after that, you got your, your post-dinner game. You're finishing up maybe – you know, before you uh, before you break into the dessert, you've had your you know four helpings of turkey, and you're kind of just sitting like a bump on a log comatose. on the yeah in the comatose. Then the game starts in Dallas. We have, of course, the footballers, the Washington football team, visiting Dallas. Uh, line has opened currently with the Cowboys as one and a half point favorites. Josh, who are you taking? You have the footballers or the Cowboys? I am taking Dallas here. Money line, anything. The Cowboys are eight and one against the Washington football team on Thanksgiving. Eight and one. Um, Dallas is how. I guess I should rephrase that. I'll probably take the Dallas money line here because Dallas has been terrible against the spread. Um, not just terrible against the spread this year, but terrible against the spread on Thanksgiving historically. Just not good. Dallas is two and nine against the spread in their last eleven Thanksgiving games. Uh, however, on the flip side of that, Greg, I'm an overman this Thanksgiving. I'll, I'll root for points all afternoon long. The overs eight and two in their last ten meetings of Washington versus Dallas, and above anything else, the Red Rifles back under center this week. And if there's no more, like there's there's not a better. Thanksgiving gift than Andy Dalton back at the helm. His second Thanksgiving game all time. 
I'm looking for Dalton and the Cowboys. It'll be the first time I've ever rooted for Dallas on Thanksgiving. Let's get it done. That's what I'm taking. I know you're just beaming over that pick, but... We're, we're going to have to set you straight. <laughs> so, I'm going to take the footballers. Um, oh, my. Dallas has been an absolute train wreck since Dak Prescott's been gone. I know they're not starting... Danucci or anything like that, but still having to start Andy Dalton back. Uh, Dalton had some tough injuries, missed a couple games, but even when he was playing, this Dallas team did not look good at all. Uh, you know, have lost four straight in the two games that Dalton had played. They put up a combined 13 points on offense and have not put up more than 19 points in any of their four games since Dak Prescott got hurt. Uh, on the flip side, Alex Smith had his best passing game of the year versus Detroit last week. Uh, amazing story coming back from that just disgusting. Fantastic, man. Just that perseverance. That gross leg injury and all of the infections and everything. I don't know if you saw any of those videos of his of his leg. It looked gross. That but has ended careers before, and that man is a, has just a back. great story. So expect to see him. But the other thing is, as I mentioned, Dallas averaging about 13, 14 points since, uh, since Dak's been gone. Washington, not exactly a team going to light up the scoreboard, especially with Alex Smith dinking and dunking. I'm actually going to go Washington and the under. Washington and the under. Are you telling me you don't trust Andy Dalton and Mike McCarthy? Who would? <laughs> Yikes. I, Who I, would? I, this might, this be, this right might here, be my this lock guy. of the week now for Washington. Uh, but then... Uh, you got know, your nightcap. Yeah, nightcap. And people are going to be frisky about this one because, you know, you've been sitting around all day. Well, you're, usually probably, you get your, you're probably pretty uh, feeling good about this point. Usually you get your, your nice, you know post-nap during maybe, you know, third quarter or so of the Washington-Dallas game. Had some pie. Ready to go. Yeah, you got your pie. Maybe you're on a little sugar high for this Ravens-Steelers game. Big game. As they say, no love lost between these AFC North opponents. Steelers, two-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Who are you taking, Ravens-Steelers? Tread carefully on this, on your sugar high, or if you've had a few to drink by this point in the day. Uh, I know Thanksgiving can be a lot, um, but, I mean, you should just be having it with your immediately fa- immediate family this year. No other no people. No more than eight, I think. Yep. Keep it small, folks. Although, it is the night game. It'll be the third game. You'll be wanting to either capitalize on your good day or bounce back from your bad day. Probably the latter, yes. Probably the latter, but tread carefully. This is there are not good trends going into this game, and uh, the forecast isn't looking the greatest for this game either. Yes, it's it's Pittsburgh in late it's, November. Yeah, yeah, it's Pittsburgh in late November uh, at night on a Thursday. So uh, short week. Short week. Uh, Pitt. Pittsburgh has been terrible at covering this season. Uh, the over under is an even split in the last ten Baltimore Pittsburgh games. Um, so you know what I'm doing, Greg? I'm finishing Thanksgiving night off with some props. Is Pro- there is there a prop for Mike Tomlin to trip another Ravens player like he did a few years ago on Thanksgiving? Uh, probably. Okay. You know, he. I might take that one. He likes to do that actually, but uh, look for a turnover prop. 
if you can find a turnover prop uh, on over over under on turnovers, I would look to take the over here just because it will. Uh, I don't think it's supposed to rain during the game, but it will have rained all day, and I think there are some chances for some scattered showers throughout the game. Um, so five turnovers uh, a couple weeks ago when Baltimore and Pittsburgh met. There were five turnovers, a couple fumbles uh, for those turnovers. So look for a turnover prop. Also, I'd take the under on a Lamar Jackson uh, passing touchdowns. Really struggled against the Pittsburgh defense in the last game. Uh, he did throw for two touchdowns, but he also threw for two interceptions, and uh, that was at home, uh, not at Pittsburgh. And this Pittsburgh defense has shown – they're getting better and better each week. Uh, they suffocate those offenses and definitely know what they need to do against that crazy Baltimore defense that can show you anything. Uh, so look for props here. Um, I would I would avoid uh, if you want to throw something on a money line. If you're feeling courageous at the end of the night, go ahead. But I think that spread is too tight. These are two teams that are both really good teams and are going to be putting it all on the line that night for the AFC North. Um, so I'd look for a turnover prop as I think my best, my best bet here, actually. I'm not comfortable taking anything else. Uh, so for me, I think this is a very interesting game. You look at the game that they played in Baltimore in some difficult weather. Lamar Jackson struggled to throw the ball against this Pittsburgh defense. Big Ben didn't throw the ball very well either. But I think the one thing that you have to look at is the Steelers defense has been success- susceptible to the run. Uh, Baltimore had 265 yards rushing, averaged... J.K. Dobbins, of all people, lit it up against them. Yeah, 113 yards. Edwards had 87, and uh, Lamar had 65. So a team that can run, I think, you know, if there's a prop for total rushing yards, I'd probably take it over. But the one problem that I have with the Steelers is I think they'll be up for this game, but after a couple of slow games in a row, you know, they struggled against the Dallas team. They've got kind of a a sleepwalk game versus the lowly Jaguars this week. After the I Bengals think, the week before. Yeah, or yeah, they yeah, the Bengals, they haven't exactly been playing the best competition. I'm wondering if on a short week they're going to be able to ramp it up. Difficult weather. Pittsburgh's running game has not been great. James Conner has not been great this year. I expect to see a lot of the ball on the ground. I trust Baltimore more with that. I think Baltimore is going to be angry. I think, you know, they've lost a couple games recently. I think Harbaugh is going to get those guys playing hard. I'm going to take right now, I see the odds on a Ravens money line at plus 110. I think I'm going to take that, try to end, maybe sweeten the pot at the end of the night. Yeah. Ravens money line, I think they come out. I think they run the ball more effectively because although that Steelers defense gets, gets to the gets to the quarterback, they have some trouble when you run right at the blitz against them. And I think if there's one team that can run the ball very well, it's I mean, it's been shown to be the Ravens over the last couple of years. So I think I'll take Baltimore plus one ten. Yeah. I would I wouldn't I wouldn't have a problem with that. Uh but uh, yeah, I mean keep in mind these teams just played each other a couple weeks ago. It, those teams playing so their second game so close to one another after having cakewalks in between Thanksgiving night for the division. A lot of a lot of juiciness that could happen that night. Yep, and uh, I look for maybe look for some live, uh, some, some live, live bets. bets. And I'm sure we'll put out. I, I'm I'm sure I'll even take charge on this. We'll put out some some of our picks 
final picks as soon as some of the over-unders come out Wednesday. So maybe Thursday we can get some spreads and some spreads, send out some Thanksgiving spreads, send out some picks against the spread, all at 30 Rack of Sports. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Boom. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to the show today. Uh, once again, want to give a shout-out to our guy, Zach. Uh, had to miss for some for a family emergency. Uh, our thoughts and prayers with Zach and his family. Hopefully everything's good with him. Uh, side of that, before we go, Josh, any final cheers that you want to get, get out there? Um, yeah, just cheers to our partner and good friends, Zach and Tori. We love you guys. Hang in there. Um, and then uh, other cheers. I'm wearing the Cincinnati Bearcats Kenyon Martin jersey, and with the 52nd pick in the NBA draft, Kenyon Martin Jr. went to the Houston Rockets. Other Bearcats basketball shout-out, Gary Clark signed an extension with the Orlando Magic. Two years, uh, Gerald. Yep, yep. so uh, a lot of, lot of good stuff uh, with the draft and uh, free agency getting started in the NBA and the association so uh, good week there. Shout out to those guys for uh, getting getting their due. Yeah, uh, for me, I uh, also want to shout out a, a draft pick. want to shout out the new Cavalier edition, Isaac Okoro. Uh, I believe going to be wearing 35 for the Cavs. Uh, seems, to, seems to get the Cleveland culture. Said he became a big fan you know, during the 2016 run, as I have my 2016 <laughs> championship yep. sweatshirt on. Uh, also want to give a shout out to a former Cavalier, Tristan Thompson, mm. uh, one of those guys, underappreciated, maybe known more for, for some off-the-court stuff with yeah. A and Kardashian. Uh, <laughs> but a guy that, you know, was a key cog in winning that championship, a guy who absolutely dominates the boards. He was a guy that, you know, was the fourth pick in the draft, kind of overshadowed by the number one pick that was Kyrie, but a guy that worked hard. You know, he came in as an undersized center that, Shot free throws terribly. Ended up switching hands, switched from shooting left-handed to right-handed. Improved his game, became a monster on the boards, and really helped the Cavs to a championship. Really a cornerstone uh, in the Cavs' foundation the past few years. Yeah. Well, and one of those guys, even after, you know, LeBron was gone, though there was not a lot of success, uh, you know, a great mentor to some of the young guys, just a guy that goes in and, you know, just does the dirty work and gets things done. Uh was going to say I wish him all the best, but he signed with the Celtics, so. Yeah. Eh. Hey, you know who we can wish all the best, though? Who? Obi Toppin. Knicks. Obi Toppin to the Knicks. Turn and then the boys around, man. For the final shout-out, of course, the fighting Reese Davises of Northwestern. 5-0 <laughs> and, and in first place in the Big Ten West. Peyton Ramsey, let's go, brother. Peyton Ramsey from Elder, Cincinnati, all over the place. Yep, hey, we're getting it done. We are, uh, the takeover's real. Ohio yeah. will consume the world eventually. The takeover's real. And it starts this week, taking over Thanksgiving Day tables with our Gobble Gambles and the CFB playoff. And some Creep Show. And some Creep Smoke Show. Porter Final shout-out to Warped Wing and Creep Show. Well, thank you so much for listening. This has been 30 Rack of Sports. We'll be back next week better than ever and ready for some more Browns, Bengals, and college football playoff reactions. Peace. Peace. Happy Thanksgiving.